Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a podcast where two brothers answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. John, spring is here, and as I look out my window, I can see that uh, a sign of that spring on my lilac tree. What a relief! Oh boy. Well, this actually, there's not any leaves out on it yet. It takes a while. It is Montana after all. I'm so excited about spring. I am going to allow that joke to pass unmentioned. <laughs> it's really wonderful to have a bit more sunlight and warmth here in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. It's been a long, just just to state the obvious, it's been a rather long winter, despite having been a relatively short winter. And I am very, very excited for spring. Uh-huh. Oh, the days of light and interpersonal interaction are coming, let us hope. My uh, father-in-law lives in Missoula, and we will occasionally be over at their house, and he does this kind of adorable thing where whenever the sun comes out, he goes... (gasps) A shadow. <laughs> and he, but he'll, he'll do it like four times an hour. Because, you know, like, the, it's not like it's it's like a pure blue sky. But occasionally the sun will peek through and he he gets very excited and, and points at the shadow. And then Oren will run over and be like, where, where? <laughs> so that is adorable. And I, that's how I feel. Like every like little chance to celebrate the sun coming out is what is one we should take. John, you want to answer... Uh, some of these questions that we got from our listeners? I have a question from a listener that's also just a question I have for you, Hank. This question really, really got my mind working. Jesse writes, Dear John and Hank, you know that children's song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands, that Uh talks about God holding the whole world? Yeah. First off, I didn't know, Jesse, until you wrote that, that that was a religious song. Oh, the only words to Is it, it I know. Is a big giant? Yes. I thought it was a big giant who had the whole world in his hands. And the only reason I even know the chorus of the song is because the melody was repurposed to sing about famous Liverpool goalkeeper Jersey oh, Dudek. Oh, you're going to sing it for us, aren't you? I'm not. I'm definitely not oh. going to sing it, but I'll tell you the words. Uh, Jersey Dudek is Polish, and the words were, we've got a big pole in our goal. That's my only relationship oh, cute, to this cute, song. Cute. How would Earth 
Earth feel if you oh. shrunk it down oh. to hold it in your hand? Would all the trees be scratchy? Would it feel hot because of its core? And most importantly, would it bounce? Mm, would it bounce? <laughs> would it bounce? Because, okay, so I thought about this and I'm not, I don't know a lot about science, but I thought it might bounce because of its atmosphere. Uh, I, I, you know, like it's surrounded by this like air pocket sort of that makes it maybe bouncy. So, so are we imagining that the earth shrunk down and it still has an atmosphere and is not inside of an atmosphere? Because I imagine that like you shrunk the earth down, but then you're still on the earth <laughs> or us an analogous planet. No, I think you're on this. Because you no. have to you have to bounce it off of something. Yeah. The surface of Mars. You're on Mars. The earth okay. is the size of your hand. Uh huh. Or it's actually smaller than your hand, so it can fit in your hand. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you throw earth down as hard as you can against the surface of Mars, I think, I think it at might. least in my imagination, Earth bounces right back up. It's like, it's, it's, it's not like bouncy ball level bounce, but it's like, say, tennis ball level bounce. I think it's like pool ball level bounce when they do. And pool balls do bounce pretty good. I would take a pool ball bounce for sure, if that's what we're talking about. Yeah. But the, the, the other question which I find completely fascinating is would it be warm to the touch or would it be <laughs> cold to the touch? Because in certain places it's quite warm in other places it's cold. I assume that the trees would be so small that they wouldn't matter, but like you'd feel Mount Everest, right? Like you'd feel it'd be a bumpy ball. No, no, it would not be a bumpy ball. Okay. It would be, it would not be a bumpy ball. It would be significantly heavier than a billiard ball, about twice as heavy. If it was the size of a billiard ball, it'd be twice as heavy as a billiard ball. Okay. But it would be smoother than a billiard ball. What? That is. No. Yes. No. Is the, the pits and, and scratches on the surface of a billiard ball. If you blew that billiard ball up to the size of the earth would be deeper than the deepest sea and higher than the highest mountain. It would be wet though, right? Because it would be 70% water. <laughs> be a little bit wet. Yeah. Uh, if it was, on, uh, I mean, you've now introduced Mars. So if it's on the surface of Mars, the atmosphere immediately um, dissipates into no, Mars' no, atmosphere. No. The, no. the water immediately boils no, off. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, it's magic, Hank. <laughs> Look, this is a, if we're going to have a hypothetical situation, let's have a hypothetical situation, okay? I'm saying the Earth's atmosphere, forget, forget everything I just said. Mars blows up to make it so big that the earth is now the size of a billiard ball. And I have also blown up in conjunction with Mars to make me so big that I am now. So I am now such a giant okay. that I can hold earth mm -hmm. and its atmosphere in my hand. I'm in space. I can live in the vacuum of space because I say I can, when I bounce the ball, all the water like shakes around in the atmosphere, but in my imagination, at least it's like a snow globe. Like like it the sticks? atmosphere stays. Yes, the atmosphere stays. So like okay. the, so all the water okay. goes like okay, up okay, into okay, the okay. sky and then it comes back down. It's like the hydrological cycle, but sped up. Right. And everybody who's on the planet is having a bad, bad day. Okay. I Yeah, I definitely think it, this would be bad for the other humans, but I'll tell you what, giant me would be loving it. All that so it's, power. It's a, it would be a little bit damp. <laughs> it would be very, very wet. It would be a little damp. No. Are you going to tell me now that a billiard ball actually has more water on its surface <laughs> than Earth would? A billiard ball, actually. <laughs> actually. No. It would not be a little bit damp. It would be soggy. No, I think it'd be a little damp. I think it'd be a little damp. No. no. 
It's 70% water. It's of course the surface it's gonna, it, is. Yeah, so some of it would be dry and some of it would be wet, but I don't think it'd be that deep. I guess that's true, but I wouldn't I'm not cutting through the bouncy billiard ball that is earth. I'm holding it. I'm hold, I'm only touching the surface. So my question is, so I think the answer to is it warm is it's warm but not hot. But maybe there's like I think it's, one really small cold spot like when you're swimming in the ocean well, and you feel that like both. inexplicable cold spot. No, that, no, it's going to be cold at the poles. Yeah. It's going to be warm at the equator. Right. And like there are going to be spots of it that are going to be super warm. If like the moment you shrink it down, it's got the same warmth as all of the, it's just the surface temperature that we're talking about here. Yeah, but I'm saying that like when you're holding it, some of that temperature gets like distributed I don't know. Now that I'm saying that, it I'm not sure. I'm not confident. After some time. But like, it's, yeah, it's got, it's got a little film of ice on the, on the, just some frost on the top and bottom. It's a frosty, damp billiard ball. Okay. But it's twice as heavy. And bounces. I'm pretty sure it would bounce. I think it would bounce. I, I'm 100% sure it would bounce. And people who are going to say it's not going to bounce are not imagining the right hypothetical. <laughs> would the earth bounce? I'm just going to put that out there. I'm going to say there are things that I do not know intuitively. If anybody has more information, please let me know if the earth would bounce. Okay. It's well, definitely a damp billiard ball. It's a soaking wet billiard ball. Just, to, just I, I can't let that go. I'm sorry, I but there's a lot. just damp. Most of the billiard ball is wet. That is not a damp <laughs> billiard ball. If most of the billiard ball is wet, it is a wet billiard most ball. Most of the billiard ball is damp. No. Some no, of it's dry. It's not- you- yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> As is the case with every wet billiard ball, <laughs> part of it is dry. No, you can make a billiard ball 100% wet. If it's underneath the water, you can make it entirely wet. But the moment you pull it out, there's little parts of it that are dry, which is what... It, I mean, I've, we're having here a crisis of language. Imagine, Hank, mm-hmm. close your eyes. Imagine that you put a billiard ball into a full bathtub of water. Uh-huh. Now wet, wet. you pull out the billiard ball... Yes, it's wet when it's under the water. You pull out the billiard ball. Four seconds later, when it is still mostly wet, but in places dry, that is what it would be like. All right. Whereas you're arguing that it would be a slightly damp billiard ball, which implies to me that somebody has like like an eyedropper has missed it and it. puts like four beads of water on the billiard ball. That's not it. It's 70% wet. I think it's, no, I don't mean like little dots. I mean, it's misted. <laughs> That's wet. If you have, <laughs> if you have a billiard I ball. Yeah, I don't really know how to make a billiard ball damp. Like now that we're talking about it, like hard things don't get damp. Uh, yeah, this is, this is, I mean, obviously this is a completely ludicrous conversation start to finish, but, <laughs> but your notion that if you spritz a billiard ball with water, that the billiard ball isn't wet <laughs> fascinates me. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking like the oceany parts, like they're not wet. Like you're not gonna like stick your finger in and be like like and like have a bunch of water on your finger. No, gonna... because as you explained to me, it's gonna be it's gonna be much smoother than yeah. that. But it is going to be wet. Wet. <laughs> this next question comes from Tremaine who asks, Dear Hank and John, is there a handwritten equivalent to using italics? How are you supposed to emphasize something if you're writing, not typing? All the other things work for both. You can bold, you can underline, you can do quotation marks. Is italics just for typing? What gives? Not Johnny Tremaine. Uh... I mean, you can, I, when I'm typing, sometimes don't bother to italicize and I just put slashes around it. 
you can do that. The longstanding way of thinking about this, though, is that italics in text, in print text, is the equivalent of underlining in handwriting. And now there is also underlining in printing. And so it's a little confusing. But if you think about it, most of the time when you're reading a book, right, you don't you yeah. read italics. Like when you're reading something that you don't see it. Underlined. Yeah, when you're reading something yeah. that would be underlined handwritten, like the title of a book or a, a word for emphasis in in printing, it's italicized. Tremaine, that was great advice, but I have another tip for how to do italicized handwriting. Okay. You have to get to an airport and get on mm-hmm. a plane and then yeah. fly to Rome and then whatever you write there will be italicized. Oh my God. I mean, thank God you didn't save that for next week's pod. That's all I can say. <laughs> I do think that it's funny that the way that we like underline writing in printed books and stuff is by making it look more like handwriting. Like the actual handwritten equivalent to me is if you wrote out everything in print letters and then when you wanted to italicize something, you wrote it in cursive. (laughs) But for me, that's not an option because among the many things that I have forgotten since third grade is how to write in cursive. Where the heck does the word cursive come from? Is it only for for when you're using the bad words? What? Because it's cursive. Oh, God, are you just, is this going to be like the (laughs) Hank makes bad jokes spectacular? No, I'm serious. Why? I assume, I always thought it was called cursive because it's got all kinds of curves curves in it. (laughs) Like, you know, the word like- That's definitely not the case. Well, like the word discursive, I always assumed is related to cursive because discursive means like wandering in various directions in mm-hmm. vaguely loopy ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You are correct, um, I think. Well, I Wait, was going to say- No, you're not. You're not correct. It is from it is from the uh, Proto-Indo-European uh, root curs, which means to run. And it means that uh, with written with a running hand. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But discursive Sometimes I have comes from the poops. same word, I would think, because like it means like to run on in- various directions away from the meat of the sentence. Did you even miss the part where I said, sometimes I have cursive poops? Oh, I did. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I, I chose to miss it. Um, but then you really wanted me to hear it. So I heard it the second time. It really hit home for me that time. Thank you. <laughs> Can you ask another question before, before I ruin our relationship? We're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> Oh, goodness gracious. Okay. <laughs> um, poop is really funny to me. I know. I, I, I know why it would be really funny to you. And I feel like when I tell Sarah about it later, <laughs> she will also find it really funny. I I don't have that part of my sense of humor that's like extremely <laughs> scatological. I've never had it. Mm. But I'm happy for you that you have it. This next question comes from N who writes, Dear John and Hank, how do I handle feelings of jealousy when my friends who are also young and work from home start to get vaccinated before I do? How do I patiently wait until it's my turn? XOXO, N. Mm, yeah. First off, N, I just real quick. There's no, we we, they, we can't kiss and hug, buddy. <laughs> That's why XOXO is so good. No, XOXO means, it means hug, kiss, hug, kiss. And but virtually. No. Oh, okay. As long as it's just X's and O's and that's fine. But if you want to XOXO for real, I'm going to need you to get that shot. <laughs> also, 
I don't mean to make you feel worse about not having been vaccinated. <laughs> there is there a word yet for like vaccination jealousy? Because like I definitely have seen it arising internally oh, and externally. I feel it so intensely. I also I saw someone refer to Schadenfreude, which is the opposite of Schadenfreude. It's when you feel good about your friends getting the vaccine. Oh, I want to have Schadenfreude, but instead I, I have. I have shot and jealousy. I do have shot and Freud, but I also have some some shot and jealousy. Mm -hmm. Like even when I know it's people who are wildly more deserving than I am Uh and and for whom it absolutely makes sense. Oh, sure. Like, say, my parents. (laughs) (laughs) And whom I love. Yeah. 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 And I'm... like obviously they should get vaccinated before me on every level and and I'm I'm 100% behind it but also oh that seems nice it does seem nice yeah yeah i don't really know what to do about this except to know that it like it's it's coming and also that like it's not like the world just reopens to you once you get a vaccine like every, like we're going to have to get this into a lot of people before it is responsible to behave the way that we once behaved, regardless of whether you're vaccinated. Like there are certainly things that you will be able to do once you have a, are fully vaccinated. But like the thing we're working towards isn't really individual. It is a collective vaccination. Absolutely. And the positive outcome is also collective and that we have to work toward that. That said, because the vaccines are at least currently so incredibly personally beneficial, Mm -hmm. I understand it. If it were more like a flu vaccine that had, you know, like a 60% efficacy or something, then, you know, we could all talk about like, oh, it's a, it's about the, the, the collective and it is about the collective, but there is also like personal, real dramatic personal benefit in getting vaccinated. And so I understand it. I, I, I feel it too. I think the way that you deal with it is by waiting because it's not going to be that much longer for for many of us like yeah. it's going to be pretty soon for most people yeah and every every time it's a little it's longer uh, especially because we're vaccinating a fairly good clip now that means the more people are doing it and that's very good news so people who maybe were sort of waiting on their back foot for a while I know people like this who want to like kind of want to make their own decision and and like weigh it in their own ways. Every person who decides, oh, yeah, actually, this looks like it's working really well, um, you know, kind of pushes me back in line, but is very good news for them and very good news for all of us. Right. Exactly. So that's the other thing is that being pushed back in line is actually good news for the social order. Yeah. Oh, you still really want to get it. I am going to, I have dreams about it all the time. Oh, wow. All the time. I have wonderful dreams about it. And for whatever reason, every time I get the vaccine in my dreams, (laughs) Sarah gets it first and she's crying. And this is notable because Sarah never cries. Like Sarah's cried maybe like 10 times in the last 20 years that that I've known her. And every time I think, but Sarah never cries. Oh, it's adorable. Oh, God. I'll report back. When I actually get it, I'll report back on who cries. I've got a pretty (laughs) solid idea of who it might be. Oh, God.
Okay. John, I got another question here. It comes from Abby, who asked, Dear Hank and John, recently it occurred to me just how odd it is that our pupils dilate. I get why pupils contract and dilate according to like the surrounding light and stuff. But what happens to the iris closer to the center of the eye? When your pupil dilates, where does that portion of the iris go? Does the pupil just cover it up? Or does it contract in some way to make room for the ever-expanding abyss of our eyes? I am quite puzzled. Abby, John, your pupil is nothing. Well, it's not quite nothing, but I know what you mean. I, this is actually something I know a yeah. lot about on account of having had <laughs> orbital cellulitis. Yeah, so the, the iris is the thing that's doing the expanding and contracting, not the pupil. The pupil is just the space that's left in the center, and the iris is a sphincter. So it's a muscle that can, that contracts radially and can get quite thin and it can, can make the hole really small or it can make the hole really big. So you got a sphincter in your eyeball. So that's fun. Yeah, and your pupil is basically the thing through which light goes, mm -hmm. and then the sphincter of your iris decides how big that needs to be for you to get the amount of light that your iris thinks would be most beneficial. So your seeing is basically like farting in reverse, but with photons. That is not incorrect, right? Yeah, that's not a terrible way to think about it. And you want to be able to control how many photons go in and out, just like you want to be able to control farts. Actually, you mm -hmm. don't want to have an active choice. It's true. Because you're if you had an active it's choice, true. you want it it's to be able to be controlled. Yeah. Exactly. If you had mm -hmm. a super active choice, it would take you way too long to be like dial it back there, dial it. <laughs> like I don't actually I don't want to be able to contract my iris the way I can contract my bicep. Mhm. Mm so, I, I <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is another thing where the body is doing a great job without me. <laughs> Do you ever feel like your mind is doing a great job without you? Uh, no. No, I feel like my mind needs needs active intervention. Uh, yeah. I think it would be great. I think your mind is yeah. does does work incredibly sometimes. well on its own sometimes, yeah. but my, yeah. I feel like my mind needs constant oh, man. Uh, constant intervention. Sorry, I brought it up. No, it's okay. It's not like I don't know about it. <laughs> and you don't want it to not be, you don't want that kind of stuff to not be mentionable, right? Like you want oh, to be course. able to yeah. uh, to talk about it and be honest about it. But yeah, I, I certainly know people who like their, their background way of getting through the, the world works really, really well. Like their sort of natural, inherited, unconscious way of navigating works awesome. Yeah, I am not such a person, but mm. I, I also I I think there's advantage. Well, no, not really. I was gonna say it. No, there's not though. <laughs> okay, you have another question for us, John? Yeah, but unfortunately, Hank, I've just been informed that we need to read some sponsor advertisements. Oh, yeah, like for instance, did you know that today's podcast is brought to you by Cursive Poops? Cursive Poops. <laughs> they 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 just they go on and on. <laughs> This podcast is also brought to you by a damp billiard ball. Nope. It's it's possibly moist. It may be wet. Yeah. It's a, it, but it's heavier than a billiard ball and it's very smooth. Uh, today's podcast is also brought to you by a wet billiard ball. A wet <laughs> billiard ball. A more accurate description of a billiard mm. ball that is 70% water on its surface. And also this podcast is brought to you by Vaccine Dreams. Vaccine Dreams, who's crying in yours? <laughs> 
This episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by ZocDoc. Look, there are, I think it's fair to say, some imperfections in the American healthcare system, but there are ways that it actually has recently gotten easier. I don't compromise on a lot of things, but I do not love feeling like I can't find the right doctor for me. And I've gotten very lucky that I have found some good doctors for me. When it comes to your health, there shouldn't be compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor who uses your appointment to catch up on the latest headlines slash their family group chat slash their crossword puzzles just because they're available right now or they happen to take your insurance. Instead, like you don't have to keep going back to a doctor who you don't like. You can check out ZocDoc, a place where you can find and book doctors who make you feel comfortable, who listen to you, who prioritize your health, and you can search by location, availability, and insurance type. So literally, no compromises. Because with ZocDoc, you've got more options than you think. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more phone calls and waiting on hold with a receptionist. We don't have time for this anymore. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. Booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even sometimes score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash DearHank and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then you can book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash DearHank. ZocDoc.com slash DearHank. Every time I know it's coming and I'm like, I'm going to have to say ZocDoc.com right now, aren't I? And then I do. I'm getting good at it, everybody. ZocDoc.com. Hank, I do want to ask this question from Ben. I think it's a really interesting question, and I think we should try to solve it without dealing with the underlying problems, which are real and complex. Ben writes, Dear John and Hank, I want to write a story. That's great. But my parents Mm -hmm. have access to my Gmail and therefore my Google Docs, which is the only place I can think of writing it. Mm. I do not wish for my parents to see it, and they have been very pushy about seeing other things I have done in the past. Mm. I am worried that they will sign into my Gmail and look at this story. Should I get over these issues or is there another solution? Note that I hate writing with pencil and paper and refuse to do it. Well, (laughs) that's a good thing to know. That's that. Pumpkins and penguins, Ben. There, Yeah, there gotta be. Like, if you have internet, there gotta be places where you can write that aren't Google Docs. The, I don't know what they are because I don't. And also, John, did you know about doc.new? No. If you go to your web browser and you type in doc.new, mm-hmm. what happens? Well, look at that. It's a new Google Doc. That's nice. I mean, that. That's cool. Is so convenient. It is. It does not solve. That saves me like six clicks. It does not solve Ben's problem, but it is a good life hack, and I appreciate you sharing it with me. So I thought of a few possible solutions. One, Ben, is that if you're okay with having the document saved to your hard drive, there's usually on any computer like a basic text editor, note taking text editor kind of app that you can use. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I actually wrote much of looking for Alaska inside of a text editor. And so I know that this is possible. That's my first book, Ben. It's available um, wherever books are sold. Wow. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to sell something I wrote 17 <laughs> years ago. I'm not above it. The The other thing I thought of, Hank, is, all right, Ben, this is my idea. 
I don't know if this is a great idea, but I really like it. I want you to go to sheets.google.com and then your parents are going to look at your spreadsheet and they're going to be like, oh my God, this is so boring. It's one of Ben's spreadsheets. It's endless. I like it. Make a real spreadsheet. It doesn't matter what it's about. You can make it like, oh, this is my my net worth goals for the next 15 years or whatever, but make a real (laughs) spreadsheet. Make it about something that your parents are going to find intensely boring. Mm -hmm. Like if you have a Pokemon collection, make it a Pokemon spreadsheet. Whatever your parents are going to find super boring. So what you're going to do then, Ben, is you're going to create a second sheet down there at the bottom. Mm -hmm. It's like a second page. Nobody mm-hmm. even knows about, I, I can't. Or you just scroll down. Do you just scroll down a bunch or do you open like a sheet tab? Because there are sheet tabs and sheets. I would open up a second sheet tab and uh-huh. then scroll down a bunch for extra security. Right. And then you could actually write a paragraph inside of a Google Doc, control exit, and then paste it into this secret mm. second sheet scrolled mm-hmm. way down and just go paragraph by paragraph by paragraph by paragraph. And then the Google Doc is empty all the time, but your sheet is where the story is stored. In the sheets. And I like this, especially because you're going to need to learn how to use spreadsheet software. Exactly. So you might as well get that out of the way with your fake spreadsheets about your Pokemons. Or right. like yes. just do some science, like go measure some leaves or something. Yeah. And I can't imagine that someone would look further than being like, oh, Ben's super into leaves right now. Okay. Alternately. Oh, you got a third option. You could have a conversation with your parents, Ben, where you say, listen, I'm old enough now to be writing my own stuff and I need to be able to write stuff that y'all can't read. Yeah. And that's a hard moment for a parent, but it's also an important moment because parents can't... um, they can't be over their kids' shoulders for the kids' whole life. Like, you've got to be able to to grow up. Mm-hmm. But personally, I would do the sheets thing because I, I love to avoid conflict. <laughs> John, this next question is from Morgan, who asks, Dear Hank and John, no frustration has ever flooded my body more than when I lost my copy of Turtles All the Way Down that was signed with a Pokeball. I moved multiple times and it got lost. John, will you be adding anything special to the Anthropocene Reviewed books? Looking forward to May, Morgan, not Freeman. Thank you for that clarification, Morgan. Yeah. First off, we'll send you a copy of Turtles All the Way Down with the Pokeball in it. That's not a hard problem to solve. I still have the Pokeball creator here in my household. (laughs) Wow. But yes, so... I'm signing 250,000 sheets of paper that are going to get bound into the Anthropocene Reviewed book. Most of them just have a signature, like the overwhelming majority. Mm -hmm. But about 100 of them have illustrations either from, or maybe 200 have illustrations either from Henry or Alice. So Mm -hmm. Henry tends to draw these stick figures that say hi or that um, engage in minor acts of violence toward my signature. It's very funny. And Alice draws these, I would call them cat people. Like, I don't know if you've seen the movie Cats, but it's sort of in that vein. Although I have to say I like Alice's illustrations more. (laughs) So there, there are a couple hundred, by the time I'm done, maybe a few hundred of those. And then there are probably like a few hundred that I draw spirals on because I like to draw spirals. The vast majority of them, like I said, are just are, are merely signed. I mm-hmm. I wish that it were more. But yeah, and there, there will be a few with Pokeballs just because I'll I'll make Henry draw some Pokeballs at the end as we're uh, stacking them all up to go into the boxes. 
I do not think that I will ever do this again, Hank. I do not think you'll ever do it again either. I think I'm done. I think this is the proper number of times to do that. I think I, I, I think this is the last time I will sign the first printing of a book, un- unless I get to a point where the first printings are like yeah. 800 copies, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then I might do it again. We got to work toward that future. <laughs> I think the first printing of Looking for Alaska was like 6,000, so I could have done that in a day, but 250,000 is... I kind of, I understood in the abstract that it was going to be difficult, but now that I've got 87,000 to go and my hand hurts, I'm, this is the last time. So if you want to get a signed first edition of one of my books, this is, this is it. This is the last, the last time. The Anthropocene Reviewed coming to bookstore near you on May 18th. All right, Hank, before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, I want to ask this question from Grace who writes, Dear John and Hank, what is tape? Like scotch tape? What is it made out of? Why is it sticky? Why does it smell so weird, Grace? <laughs> well, I mean, different tapes are different. Scotch tape, I looked at this. It's made of a bunch of different things. And I was shocked by how many different things it was made of. So there's- It there's, is weird. Like, yeah. I never thought about this before now, Grace, but tape is weird. And I feel like if you pitched it to people of the 8th century, they would be like, wait, what now? Well, in fact, Scotch tape came out just before the Great Depression. And because of it, th- uh, 3M was one of the only companies during the Great Depression that didn't have to lay anybody off because it was so useful that people bought it. Wow. And it was inexpensive to make. So they could sell it for cheap and still make money. And and everybody is like, oh, this is extremely useful. So there's four layers of scotch tape. The top layer is a layer that like makes it so that it will stick to itself, but not too much. Mm. So it's like an anti-stick layer. And then you have like a matte layer that makes it not shiny, but matte colored, like matte, yeah. you know, like it's not shiny. And then there's the actual like film that the structure, the structural part of the tape. And that is made mostly of cotton, which wow, upset me a little bit for some reason. I would not, I would not have guessed that. It's cotton mixed with some plastic stuff, um, but like it's cotton pulp that gives it some structure. And then it's the sticky part. Mm. And that is made of, basically it's it's refined out of crude oil. And then they are mixed with water and sort of sprayed onto the tape. And that's the stuff that you're smelling. Um, so there's some volatile organic compounds in there that were sort of like the, maybe the solvent that those compounds were dissolved in that that then like yeah. sort of evaporated mostly. They smell like solvent, yeah. Yeah, or it might just be that that's what the, the sticky stuff itself smells like. But I don't know what the smell actually is. But uh, it was invented because car manufacturers wanted a, a, a tape that they could use so that they could paint a car two different colors. Really? Yeah. Wow. Which I also found very surprising. But then it became extremely useful for everyone. And, and of course, in the way of these things, because it was created at a company, the company made all the money and the guy who invented them, whose name was Richard, got... You know, we know we know who his name is. You can look it up, but uh, you I don't think that he got super rich off of it. <laughs> yeah. His name was Richard Drew, John. Richard Gurley Drew. OK, well, thank you, Richard Drew. Let's move on to the news from AFC Wimbledon. Hank, as you'll remember, AFC Wimbledon has a new manager, the former manager of the kids team, Mark Robinson. And we are a different football club. Now, I want to be clear. That doesn't mean that we're good. Right. Like we have the same set of problems that we had before. One of the smallest budgets in League One, all the same problems. We don't we don't have like a whole new crop of players or anything, but we have a very different attitude. And I love it. I we are possessing the ball. 
we are passing the ball from one player to another, which is almost unprecedented in my time as a as a Wimbledon <laughs> fan. It's incre- it's it is it is joyful to watch. Not only that, but two games in a row, we have been down one nil with five minutes left in the game. And we have come back, instead of giving up late goals, we have come back to score late goals. Mm. In our game against Shrewsbury, or as apparently they say eventually. in the UK, Shrewsbury. Oh my God. In our game against Shrewsbury, we had 53% of the possession, which is, again, unprecedented. <laughs> and this uh, 19-year-old kid, Ayub Asal, scored uh, a, a very late goal came on as a substitute his first game ever scoring for any kind of in any kind of professional football he's from the youth side mm-hmm. he's 19 years old um as mark robinson the manager said after the game ayub doesn't look like a footballer but he has the heart of a footballer he's tiny i mean he's a he's a very small kid but I mean, watching him in that game was so joyful. He was relentless. He was playing with, oh my, it was so fun to watch him. (laughs) So then he scores his first goal in professional football of his whole life. He scores. What does he do? How does he celebrate? The answer is he doesn't celebrate, Hank. He runs into the goal. He picks up the ball and he runs back because he wants to put Wimbledon in a situation where maybe we could get a second goal. I have never admired... a 19-year-old kid so much in my life. Now, we didn't get the second goal as it happened, but it was still mm-hmm. very heartening to see. And then we were down 1-0 against Blackpool, and in the 93rd minute, Ollie Palmer, uh, long-injured, wow. uh, very big guy who has not played as many games as he would have liked this year, uh, scored a goal in the 93rd minute in the last minute of injury time, essentially the last kick of the game. In that game, we had 56% of the possession. Wow. I love the new Wimbledon. It's so fun to watch. Everybody is playing with just such relentlessness and you you feel like they're just playing to the absolute limit of their abilities and it is joyful. And I, I love Ollie Palmer and I love, I love, love, love Ayub Assault. I love that he has come from the youth squad and that he's brought this energy into the team. I'm just, I am loving sponsoring AFC Wimbledon. We are still in the relegation zone. You are still in the relegation zone, uh, but two draws is great. Compared to two losses. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, Hank. If we draw the rest of our games, we'll probably survive. <laughs> so no no more scoring and no more letting anybody else score. That's right. Let's just let's let's null and void the season. Just zeros on the board from here on out. But yeah, I just I Mark Robinson's AFC Wimbledon is an absolute just a wonder to watch. And it's just so encouraging to see, you know, somebody who's never had a chance to coach anywhere near professional soccer, get a real chance and and just show what he can do. It's wonderful. So it's just, it's been a lot of fun. If you can watch AFC Wimbledon on the iFollow app, I really encourage it, <laughs> which you'll you'll note I wasn't saying earlier in the season. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just great fun to watch us right now. In Mars News, John Perseverance completed its first test drive on March 4th. It, uh, they took it out for a little bit of a spin. It drove for 33 minutes, during which it moved forward 13 feet, turned for 150 feet, and then drove eight more feet. Uh, that served as a you know a test 
of the yeah. mobility and the calibration of all the rover systems. It's working great, which is, I mean, I don't know why I always have this, like, th- this happens. It's like, ah, the rover is on the surface of Mars. And like, that's the hard part. But like, maybe yeah. its wheels just don't work or something. Maybe right, it's like, right, right. ah, there's a, there's a little hitch in my giddy up and I'm just going to sit here for the next four years. But yeah, it is roving effectively. Curiosity is also still roving effectively and sending out some amazing pictures right now. It's approaching a seven meter tall cliff face that is 100% sedimentary rock. It's gorgeous. Um, mm. Really, really cool. In addition to testing out Perseverance, NASA has named the Perseverance's touchdown site. So they do this. They named the, the, the landing sites. They called it the Octavia E. Butler oh, landing wow. for Octavia Butler, oh. the author who wrote Parable of the Sower and Kindred and the Xenogenesis books, who was wonderful. Well, I think that would mean so much to Octavia Butler to right? know. I wish you were here. To, yeah. I mean, I wish you were here to see the big resurgence and in interest in her work, but yeah. that is... That's the right person to honor with that. That's really wonderful to hear. That's so cool. And it's so cool that the rover is roving. I also have this fear that like I know they're gonna do they're gonna do the hard part, but like, you know, like the axle on my car breaks sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> and like what if what if it you know, what if the landing was a little rougher than it looked and something yeah. happened? But no, it was great to see that it's it's roving, as you put it. Speaking of a landing looking a little tougher than it looks, I don't know if anybody else watched the SN. 10 launched it's the new uh spacex missions and they're trying to get this thing reusable and they launched it up for a test and it came down and the for the first time so this is the 10th one of these for the first time it, it landed uh vertically very uh you know and it looked a little rough and it was like it kind of seemed like it came down a little hard but then it was sitting there and it was like i guess we did it and then it exploded uh and it, it just a spectacular explosion too <laughs> Yeah. Like movie style thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's hard. Oh, it's uh, hard. I I I would think based on my uh home rocketry with those little uh engines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh-huh. I I can't I can't get those things to have their parachutes deploy with yeah. any regularity. So I have a lot of <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of empathy for people who are mm-hmm. trying to do it with real rockets. Yeah. John, thank you for making a podcast with me. We're off to record our patron-only podcast, This Week in Stuff, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. You can send us your questions at hankandjohn at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody who does that. There is no podcast without you. This podcast is edited by Joseph Tuna Medish. It's produced by Rosiana Hals-Rojas and Sheridan Gibson. Our communications coordinator is Julia Bloom. Editorial assistant is Deboki Trapravardi. The music you're hearing now and at the beginning of the podcast is by the great Gunnarola. And as they say in our hometown... Don't forget forget to be be awesome. awesome.